Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Tradition's true, we will start right on time. We might even be one minute late already. Welcome to SACWA. Uh, I'd just like to remind you that uh, it'd be great if you can turn off your cell phones. My name is Knut Peterson, and uh, I'm the moderator today. Uh, Sean probably doesn't know this, but he's being recorded today nationwide. Live. Well, not quite nationwide, but that is the center of the university. <laughs> uh, it cost eleven dollars to to hear Sean speak, uh, but the lunch, lunch is free. <laughs> if you can put it in the basket and have someone be the accountant at each table, would be helpful. We're a volunteer organization, and uh, we make a little bit of money on our lunch, uh, thanks to Country Kids and Catering, but we also encourage people to buy memberships, and then Elise will take, uh, glad to take your money. Uh, our speaker today bought a membership uh, because I told him he didn't have to pay for lunch. So that's very nice. Anyway, uh, I will... Get on with this one here. Investments, pensions, and retirement. What are the issues? And uh, I think they're starting to head home. Next week we have a speaker on somewhat the same topic. John has uh, 17 years of uh, investment industry experience and uh, recently attained the title of portfolio manager, which is a uh, I think it's not an easy title to get, uh, whether it's uh, you know whether it's experience that gets it to get you, gets you that title, or if it's uh, I think I'm guessing it's uh, you have to be pretty honest to get that title. Free lunches. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's speaker, John Haas. Thanks, Knut, for that great introduction. Uh, he had called me a couple hours ago and said that uh, he expected to have a poor turnout because of the bad weather, so I'm glad to see a, a fairly full room. Uh, this is a little different from the most of the time we're having our client luncheon on the other side on Thursday afternoons, and you guys are having yours, so I, I may recognize a few of you. You've, you've tried to come into to, uh, our sessions in the past, and we, we've had to direct you to the other uh, to the other room, but I will guarantee our, our food is usually tasted a little better on our side, so I don't know if that's... So I have a few things I want to get through, and uh, I'll, I'll uh, count on Canute to keep me under the time. Um, this topic is something, obviously, uh, somewhat popular if, uh, if you've got another speaker coming in uh, next week as well. Um, so I think there's, a, there's quite a few things. I want to focus uh, on kind of three main areas. And, and the first area is to talk a little bit about some of the retirement tools and things like that. I'm also going to talk a little bit about 
the demographics and some of the government benefits. And so I'm going to need you to kind of come on a little journey with me along that uh, road in, in some spots and maybe go back in time a little bit, uh, remembering some of the, the things that were going on in the past uh, to give us some perspective. So I'm going to, I'm going to rely on, on you being open to that as well. And then we'll talk a little bit uh, as well on some of the details uh, around the investments. So, kind of a timely thing, uh, last week uh, the province of Ontario announced that they're planning to implement a provincial pension plan, and the, the rationale behind that is, is kind of twofold. They want to have a, they're going to have a system that's going to require employee and employer contributions uh, as part of it, and it's also, the reason they're coming at this time with it is they feel there's going to be a reduction in the amount that they're going to need for uh, unemployment premiums. So that's part of the justification that they're saying this isn't going to be uh, put a, a bigger onus, uh, you know, on people to have to put into this or employers, but that there's going to be some savings uh, from reduced unemployment uh, uh, amounts that are going to have to be contributed. So Paul Martin has been uh, kind of brought in to, to head this by the Ontario government. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens with that. Like I say, that was a development here that just took place last week. I don't know if anybody saw that or uh, followed that. Of course, the, the Harper government has also introduced something, and you know I'd like to thank them for introducing another uh, acronym. So you know we've got like we don't have enough in the financial uh, circles. I mean you're probably expecting me to be up here and talking about things. You know, uh, RSP, DFSA, GIC. There's so many acronyms, but now we've got a new one. We've got the PRPP, which is Pooled Registered Pension Plans, and the rationale for these is basically to give small, medium-sized businesses the ability to set up pension plans. Typically, a pension plan is a little costly for a business to set up. It also takes some onus or some ownership for them to do it. And, and they, they really, uh, if you're a small company, let's say you have less than 20 employees, it's pretty hard to set up one of these formal plans. It's, a, it's actually a real pain in the neck if you're a small business owner, in all honesty. So what this is doing is this is trying to address that and it's also the rationale behind this, which the details are still being, I think, worked out on this. I haven't seen all the details, but the rationale is that if you combine a bunch of these smaller plans into one larger plan that can be administered, there's going to be some cost savings. And it's going to give flexibility. It's going to give access to things that maybe only in the past larger companies could provide their employees. And the big advantage to that, if you're a small business owner, one of the hard things in Canada is continuing to attract and keep good employees. So if this levels the playing field a little bit, and you as a small business owner have that ability to be able to attract people based on offering them a good pension plan, uh, this may uh, fill that gap. So I'm, again, we're early. I'm not sure what the implementation is going to be. I also believe that the uh, provinces do have uh, the ability to opt out of this as well. So. So why is this even a big topic? You know, cradle-to-grave employment is starting to wane. It's not that common. Uh, I'd be curious in the room here, how many of you have only worked for one employer over your entire career or life? So for those who can't see, there's only about four or five hands. I actually thought it'd be more than that. How many have worked for multiple employers over your life? Wow, so the majority. I want to tell you that this trend is going dramatically faster as well. If I had a group in here that was uh, 10 or 15 years your junior, 
uh, you'd almost see very few, if any, hands go up that work for one employer. So the dynamics are changing. It's no longer where you sign up when you're uh, 20 uh, and retire at 65 and you've been with the same company and the, the pension is just there, you go into retirement and you don't have to worry about it. So it's evolving, it's changing. That's why all these other plans are starting to crop up because they're saying they're looking at it saying, you know what? There's not a big plan, a pension for everybody in place right now. We have to figure out a way to make that happen over the next few years because the government isn't going to be able to continue to, to fund uh, retirement as much as they even are today. So one thing I always get asked is, take CPP early or wait? Uh, this may be a question that some of you have had to uh, deal with in the past. In all honesty, it's, a, it's kind of a, a mortality question. How good are your bloodlines? Really? Um, if you're going to live to be 95 years old, in all honesty, you're probably better to wait because you're going to get more uh, of a pension for a longer period of time. Now, if you know both your parents killed over heart attacks at 50, well, I'm probably going to, the day I turn 60, I'm going to sign up and take my CPP. So that's an important part of it. Uh, I'm kind of oversimplifying it, which you may notice is a theme throughout my presentation today. But one of the important things is what is the timing of your future income? So we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of situations where somebody may actually draw down their RSPs uh, when they retire. If they retire before they're you know, 60, if they retire at 55, sometimes we take their RSPs out from 55 to 60, then at 60 their Canada pension comes in and so they have that income to, to lean on. But really it depends on what the timing of your incomes are. If you want to travel and you're retired at 60 and you need the money to go, do it. It's your personal situation. So there isn't really a magic answer to this in all honesty. I mean, I can pencil it out uh, in math for you, but uh, that's not near as exciting and uh, I want to be able to stick around for my free meal that can use coffee. So. <laughs> So another question that I get asked a fair amount now is the tax-free savings versus the RRSP. They're really two completely separate beasts. Uh, I, I can't really you know, answer that simply, but the, the big consideration with tax-free savings accounts is that they are very, very flexible. Okay, So you can put money in at any time, you can take money out, you never lose the ability to contribute to a tax-free account. And I always advise people, if you have any extra, if you even have a savings, you know, you have money sitting in a bank account that's a savings account, why wouldn't you take advantage of the sheltering that is offered by a tax-free account? So that tax-free account is probably the highest on the pecking order of things that we would recommend funding. The first thing is probably debt. Always pay down debt if any exists, um, uh, and then we shift to tax-free savings accounts. RSPs obviously are still a necessary uh, part of the, of the plan, and they're mainly for people that have higher incomes. If you can't control what your income is, an RSP is still a great way to defer some of that tax, especially if you're going to have very little income when you're in retirement. If your retirement income is going to be lower substantially than it is today while you're getting a, a, a higher income, definitely still use that as a, as a tool. So one of the other things I get asked quite a bit is the whole question of what do you do with a RIF? And, and a lot of people, I think, are a little bit intimidated by the mechanics of what happens with a RIF. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shed a little light on that. If you think of your RSP as a bucket, that RSP bucket, you can put anything you want into it. You can have, you know, uh, you can own companies, you can have stocks, you can have GICs, 
You can have anything you want in there. But ultimately, when you turn 73 now, the government is basically saying to you, that bucket's got to be replaced. So they're going to take, they're going to take the RSP bucket and we're going to dump the contents of it into the red bucket. Now, I can see by the, you know, the age in the room that most of you are familiar. Do you know why we do this? Do you know why this happens? What the next step might be? Taxation, exactly. So the next step is, of course, the government has let you defer all this tax. It's now time to take it back. But it's not a very intimidating process. In all honesty, the only thing that changes is the name on, on your uh, account. And then you have to decide how you want to invest. Do you want to stay conservative? Do you want to continue on the way that you've done it? Or, or you know, you have really a plethora of options. Don't feel like it's a, a dramatic change. The only thing is that Revenue Canada is going to be getting their piece every year. Old age security. Does anybody know when old age security was actually launched? It's launched in the mid 50s. And these pictures are from the 50s. One of the, one of the key tenets of old age security is the fact that mortality has changed. When this program was rolled out, and I used 1962, I wanted to give a few years from when it was initially rolled out. Uh, men in Canada were dying at the age of 68, and women were dying at the age of 74. So, the average pay period of old age security for men was three years. Three years of payments, and you were gone. That has changed dramatically over the last few years. <coughs> and I'm using even an old number here, but in 2009, men died at the age of 79 on average in Canada, women at 83. So we're talking about a 10-year gap, a 10-year increase in old age security payments. It's no wonder that we're seeing pressure put on some of these programs. To me, it almost is a little common sense in that if you're having to pay for an additional 10 years, at some point the program is gonna get stressed. And the issue we have which I'm going to address as we keep going here, is that there's a lot more people that are going to be collecting in the next 10, 20 years than there were back in the uh, uh, 60s as well. So, I call this the population pyramid. Now, I need you to travel back in time to 1961. Can everybody remember that? Because I can't. So I'm going to have to rely on you. I said you were going to have to help me out here. So we're back in 61, and you can see and what this is. I'll just maybe show you a little. Each, each chart is basically a five-year, and it's uh, the amount of males and females, uh, the age group in Canada. So you can kind of see each, each block is a five-year period. So at the bottom, it's the four-year-olds and under. It's then up, it's the five- to nine-year-olds, and, and so on up the ladder. What essentially to the, you know, took place is that we look back in 1961, and uh, half the population was under the age of 30 at that time. And this was the onset of the, the much-talked-about baby boom generation. So everybody came back from the war, uh, must have had a little bit of spare time, and decided everybody was going to have 4.1 kids per family, right? And, and obviously that number has gone down significantly. But this is a very important trend that you need to be aware of. And uh, I don't want to just pay a lip service. I mean, this is a, this is a profound theme that we need to be aware of for your own well-being and, and especially financially. Uh, it's something that I pay a tremendous amount to, of attention to. 
So what I want to show you now is what percentage of the population is age 65 to 90 over the years? And you're going to see here basically how much of the population is going to be in that age category. It's going to be a significant amount here in the next 20 years. So we look back. Again, I go back to you know, maybe 1950 where we had 11% of the population was in that age group. Now, in, in go to 2000, you know, we were at 16%. We're projecting that number to get as high as a quarter of the population is going to be over the age of 65. That's a tremendous amount of uh, pressure on a lot of these, uh, you know, government programs that we've just taken for granted and, and relied upon. So, I want to look at. You know, what is this kind of the state of the government? Uh, and I'm using the U.S. numbers here, number one, uh, because they're a little more exciting and uh, they're a lot easier to find. The Canadian numbers are not quite as, as prevalent, where the U.S., this is, this is much easier to find. Um, you can see there the amount of debt uh, has been increasing at a very dramatic rate. And one of the alarming pieces of this graph that I want to put your attention to is if you see the, the colored part, uh, that's a little lighter purple, and it says intergovernmental debt. And that portion there is actually the piece of the, the debt that the government is borrowing from itself to pay for current operations or to keep things running. So they're borrowing from Social Security in the U.S. to kind of keep funding uh, the, the present uh, amount of spending. This is a pretty alarming chart because I've just showed you on the previous slides how much money is going to need to be flowing out in these social programs. And now I'm showing you the fact that there's really, and this, this isn't just the U.S., obviously. This is a pretty uh, across-the-board trend that we're seeing. There's a lot of governments that, in all honesty, are going to have a hard time figuring out how to, uh, how to uh, make these payments. I think I heard uh, recently that Warren Buffett had an interesting idea. He said the prerequisite to be able to run for re-election is that you have to pass a balanced budget. Uh, might be a little extreme, but in all honesty, uh, uh, frankly, not a bad idea. So I just want to pretend for a moment that we're, our household is, the, uh, is kind of the U.S. government. So right now, to give you the, the analogy, we would have an income of about 52000 a year would be coming in. We would be spending at a rate of $64,000 a year, which doesn't you know, I'm not, I don't have to be that good at math to figure out what the shortfall is. It's about 12000 So that 12000 is going to have to be added to our debt, whether that's a loan, credit card, however uh, we pay for it. The problem is I've already got $312,000 in debt that I've got to try and dig myself out of. So to bring it down, like sometimes I, I think we get a little desensitized. Like if I say a billion or a trillion, it almost doesn't, it's such a big number, it doesn't even make sense. But at least here, you can kind of get a feel for what kind of numbers we're, we're talking about. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not prepared to completely throw just, you know, politicians under the bus. I mean, we're kind of a product, in some respects, of our own wishes, because nobody wants to be told you're not going to get something. And I haven't seen many campaigns that are won right now with the platform of slashing and spending Benefits. If you know anybody that's around on that platform, that may be a very misguided uh, political career. They're probably not around anymore. So, 
complicated. <clears throat> if you have a pen, you may want to write the answer to this down. This is probably what will justify the $11 you spent for lunch. <laughs> How much money do you need to retire? I get asked this a fair amount. There's a fair amount of debate. If you Google it, you'll get a lot of answers. But the answer is really quite simple. You need how much you plan to spend. And I'm kind of, you know, uh, making light of it, but I'm kind of not, because in all honesty, that is the truth. And part of what I see is I see uh, retirement being a lot more about the financial side of it as it is about the expectations. Uh, I have clients that can quite comfortably live on $1,500 a month. I have clients that quite honestly cannot live on $20,000 a month, but part of it is expectation. The truth probably lies somewhere in between there. So when you look at this, uh, honestly, you have to try to figure out what is going to be important in your retirement, what is going to be of the utmost value, and then determine if you have enough money to be able to do those things. And if you don't, you have to do several things. You can start cutting and, and sacrificing. I mean. You know, you have to also look back at future generations. I mean, I, I think my generation is probably guilty of this. Like, we expect a lot. When we talk about our retirement, and, you know, I'm the, I'm the son of a baby boomer, their retirement, they talk about it, and their expectations are pretty high. Well, you know, in all honesty, I, I look back and I think about, you know, grandparents that went through the depression, the depression and... They were quite happy to have, a, as long as they had a full belly and they could, you know, get together with family. That was a lot of satisfaction. So we've kind of gone away from that. And one of the things I always get asked is, well, how do I tell my grandkids or kids about this stuff? And in all honesty, this is probably, this is honestly the most important thing you're going to take away from today. Talk to young people about changing their expectations. Because that is probably the biggest misguided issue that we see right now with spending, like you think, you think that uh, this group is in this room. If you have worries about finances, roll it forward fifteen or twenty years, and, and your kids and grandkids are going to be, uh, you know, in a in a very stressful spot. Uh, in all honesty, because of the lack of saving that we're seeing, at least that depression era and war generation knew how to save. But. In all honesty, you usually need about 50 to 75 percent uh, of the income you had before you retire to have a comfortable retirement. That's what the experts say. I don't really know who the experts are. I just have to nod and say that's what they say. And I will. This is I see this on a daily basis. If you are born a saver, you're going to die a saver. You have more money than you'll ever spend. You're still going to click coupons. You're still going to buy used cars. You're still going to live in a modest home. Your habits don't change when you get older. I can tell you that. In fact, you almost get a little more extreme uh, the other way. So be aware of that because I have a lot of clients that think, wow, man, if I just keep, when I retire, I'm just going to go crazy. And I just keep looking at them and I, I kind of giggle and chuckle because it never, it never happens. And so try and instill those values in, in your kids or grandkids if you can because it's not happening. I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's the fact that it's money has turned more taboo. There's not a lot of... Part of it is because everybody's texting each other now, so I don't even know how many conversations are going on at the kitchen table anymore, right? So I think you need to have that, uh, that conversation. Okay, this is kind of the fun part of the presentation. So you are the sum of all the little decisions you make every day financially. Think about that. Okay, I want to give you a little analogy. So let's assume 
you're you roll the clock back, and let's say you're 20, and you know, I'm talking about the period where you're 20 to 60, okay? And I'm going to assume that instead of spending money on these things, that you put them away, and then you can make 5%, okay? I, I know I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying 10, I'm not saying 1 or 2, I'm saying 5% is what you need to make on your money instead of spending on these things. So there's a glass of water. So let's say you eat out twice a week, and you spend $3 on a drink per meal, okay, from the ages of 20 to 60. Now that's like a soda pop, that's not even a glass of wine or a beer, unless, I don't know what they charge you guys, but we pay a lot more here for a glass of wine than that, so I think that's conservative. So if you do that, you eat out twice a week, you spend $3 on a drink per meal, over your lifetime that's about $36,000 worth of income. So that's one year's of retirement. So you can drink water, or you can retire a year later. <laughs> now, some of you, you may want to leave the room. I'm going to give you a warning right now. Okay, as a disclaimer. Uh, there's old Ronald Reagan. He used to do some Chesterfield uh, cigarette ads. Uh, this one, this one, this one will really make you hurt if you're if you're a smoker. I'm sorry. Uh, the average Canadian smokes one pack every two days. At a cost of twelve fifty, I don't know. Is that even what? I don't even know what smokes are going for these days. They told me twelve fifty on the on the internet, so I'm going to take that. And and it's every two days you got to replenish that. Does anybody have a guess how much that's going to be from age? If you do that for four years, it's just under three hundred thousand dollars. So I mean that's almost probably I don't know ten years of retirement. So and I'm just saying, you know, we are the sum of all the decisions. We make on a daily basis. I actually have a talk that I do for you, not today, but if you this will get you to come back. I like to lay a hook. I'll talk about the profit margin on coffee. I can just about talk on that for about half an hour because that's an amazing thing. There's a there's some amazing companies out there that have figured out how to get us to pay two to six dollars for a cup of coffee. If you know what coffee cup of coffee costs to produce, it's a lot less than that. So. Managing expectations is important as managing your money. And I'm sorry if you expected me to come up here and give you, you need a million dollars or you need 750000 to retire because in all honesty, I can't do it. Uh, it's not possible. <clears throat> How am I doing for time? Three minutes? Okay. You're faced with more choices and in, uh, investment decisions than any generation before you, okay? Um, this is just a sampling. I mean, I could do hour-long talks on every one of these topics, okay? It's a very, very tough landscape to navigate through. I mean, I wake up at about 5 a.m. and I read a minimum of two hours a day to stay on top of this. Uh, if you guys can do that uh, with less time commitment, uh, I'd encourage you to speak to me after the presentation and maybe you can come to work for me. It is very complex, and I'm not putting that up there to, to, to make light of it. it. There are so many choices of what to do with your money right now, it is overwhelming. It's very overwhelming, and I, I really do feel for you. It is, it's a tough spot to be in right now. Uh, pretty simple, all common sense to be your best friend. I see a lot of people that, that try to search for kind of that, uh, they're chasing that neon rainbow. You know, uh, do you want to know what a risk-free rate of return is? Pick up the phone, call your bank, and ask what they're paying on a GIC. If it's two and a half, three percent, and if somebody tells you they can get you five or six or seven or ten, the further further you get away from three, the more it's going to move and the more volatility you're going to take. Don't let somebody try to tell you otherwise because they've been doing it for hundreds of years and it will not change. I can guarantee that. 
Does anybody know what this is? Tulip fields, correct. Does anybody know why I'm showing this? Call it the lesson of the tulips. I wish I had some music right now, which playing in the background. Fitting? A little bit of accordion music. Back in the 1600s, you could buy, a, I believe, Gouda tulip, uh, I assume it's similar to the cheese, uh, for under two gilder a tulip. What happened is, it became a mania for tulips. And guess what happened to tulip prices? They went up to $60, or uh, uh, gilder, sorry, a tulip. And then if you look in the bottom right, you see a little star that says end. That's where they finished up. That's only a three-year period of time. So, you know, you can replace tulip with whatever you want. I mean, there's all sorts of stories of this, the dot-coms, the, the things of that nature. But the lesson to, to learn here and don't think that your financial advisor knows to get you out at 60 either, just so you know, that's not, uh, that's not easy to do. Um, it is something that a lot of people have to be aware of, is that there's going to be uh, a bubble coming, and be aware of it, and then there's going to be another cycle, and things are going to uh, decline. So just be aware of that, that we continually will see this over and over uh, with regard to investing.